Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Kristen Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the Word of the Lord. Why don't you grab your Bibles right now as you're situating yourself and turn in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 32. I'm so appreciative of the message that uh, George Ruder preached two weeks ago and then last week Mark Scorzone preached a message out of Luke's gospel. But uh, George walked us through most of the fourth chapter of the book of Acts and I want to pick up where he kind of left off and share some things this morning. We're going to go from Acts chapter 4 right into Acts chapter 5. And um, it's a, a really a remarkable story of something that happened and took place in the early church during a time of revival. And um, it's really remarkable. It's tragic. It's shocking in some sense. If you've never read Acts chapter 5, the first portion of it, you might... Uh, uh, read it, or you might read it with me today and say, why would God do something like that? And I hope to, to bring some explanation as we do. You know, a lot of times when you come to Scripture like this, I know some preachers will just want to pass over a passage like this because it's kind of a tough one to navigate. It's kind of a tough one to look at. And, uh, but we're going to look at it today, and I'm going to try to bring some perspective to it and hopefully uh, encourage you with the Word of the Lord. If you're here with your kids, we're dismissing them off to Kids Church and Children's Church. That's happening to my left. It would be your right. You'll see some parents walking with their children right now. We encourage you to do that. But I want to pick it up in verse 32. I'm going to read a number of verses, so get your Bibles out or your the app on your phone and read along with me if you would. It says, Now the multitudes of those who believed, and that's critical, you want to circle that, the multitudes of those who believed or those who had put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what it says, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to note a couple of things in those early verses. It says that the apostles were moving in great power as they preached the gospel, as they talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of the preaching of the gospel, it says great grace was upon them all. How many of you know that when you bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel, He releases grace from heaven upon those who believe? And I want to encourage you this morning that there is grace here for those of us who put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. Come on, turn to somebody right now and say, His grace is sufficient. And so it says in the early church there was great power, but there was also great grace. Verse 34, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country 
of Cyprus. So he was a worshiper. He was part of the Levitical tribe. And he was a worshiper. And it says he had a piece of land and he sold it. And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that would be a, a nice place to stop right there. I mean, it's just nice and talking about grace and we're talking about the power of God and we're talking about a benevolent people and a people who are sharing what they have for the benefit of others. But in your Bibles, you have a chapter 5. How many have a chapter 5? Okay. Now when the Bible was written, it didn't have the breaks that we often find in our Bible. And so this going and flowing into chapter 5 is a continuous thought. There wasn't a break in the original text. And so it says that Barnabas was super benevolent, had a piece of land, he sold it, he gave all of the proceeds to the apostles, and they distributed the money as there was need amongst them. And then there's an interesting word that follows. Do you see it? The word but. It says but. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of great power, in the midst of revival, in the midst of great grace, in the midst of incredible benevolence, it says there was a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife who also sold a possession. But he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter, moving in a spiritual gift, a word of knowledge, said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to man. Peter says, you're not lying to me. You're lying to God. And then it says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, and breathed his last. In other words, he died. And it says, great fear came upon all those who heard of these things. And then a, the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later, and his wife Ananias stepped into the picture. And Peter spoke to her, and he said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And then Peter confronted her again and he said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her next to her husband. Verse 11, come on, stay with me. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the early church, as all of these beautiful and wonderful things were happening, great grace and great power, incredible benevolence amongst the believers, the fear of the Lord was being established so that they would walk in holiness and purity as well. And I want you to continue on with the thought. And it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. And what that means right there is, as the apostles went into Solomon's temple, the other believers, the other thousands of believers stayed back. They didn't go. 
Not because they didn't have faith, but because there just wasn't room. And it says multitudes, and, 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 but the people esteemed them highly. And, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And it goes on to talk about how people were laid at the disciples' feet, and people were healed. And, there was, and, and, and I want us to look at something that we might uh, deem tragic, but what God uses in a very redemptive way. This is a remarkable story. It's a shocking event that happens in the life of the early church. Now, as you approach, whenever you approach Scripture, how many of you ever approach Scripture and just realize that you've just read a very difficult passage of Scripture and you're saying to yourself, why is it there? What is God looking to do by having this in the text? Now, let's establish some things that we already know. We already know that the Word of God is inspired by God. And so as Luke is writing, he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is reminding him to include this event as he does a chronicle of, of the early church life. Now, I don't know about you, but if it had been me and I was writing this, I might have said, let's leave that part out. Now, I know it happened, but let's just leave it out. For the sake, let's just, those of us who were there will remember it, but no one else needs to know. But the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to remember and to write this account. And that's the thing that I want you to see, that when you approach the Word of God, you need to understand along with me of its historical accuracy. In other words, Luke just didn't imagine this or he didn't insert this text to try to get somebody's attention. He says, no, this actually happened. This event actually took place. And historically, an individual and his wife died because they lied to the Spirit of God. That's the first thing I want you to see. Historically, the Scripture is incredibly accurate. The second thing I want you to recognize whenever you read the Bible is the honesty of the text. When God inspires the writers of Scripture, He doesn't just include the good things that happen, but He also includes the tragic things, what we might consider the bad things. It's, it's honest. The, the Scripture is so honest, and God is so honest and truthful. And the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of truth. And so there's a lesson here that I think Luke wants us to get. Now, you can read other books that have been written by men, and you won't find the amount of honesty in those texts that you find in the Scripture. I mean, just think about the media today. You can't believe anything, they say. Anything they read or write. Thirdly, I want you to understand that in the early church, God was doing something that was incredibly important to the church, and it was establishing her upon the foundation of truth so that she would not go astray, so that she would not err as she moved forward. And one of the things that God hates more than anything else is hypocrisy. You'll recall that when Jesus was on the earth and he was ministering, the thing that he confronted over and over and over with the Pharisees and the Sadducees was their hypocrisy. 
their religious trappings of saying one thing and yet doing another. And God was not wanting the early church, and He does not want the church of today to be established on a faulty foundation where we fake our faith. And I think what we see happening here is we have a couple who maybe have had an experience with God. We don't know. We don't know whether they were believers or unbelievers. And so any kind of conversation there is just speculation. We're just speculating. But they were in the assembly of the believers. But they were trying to fake their faith. God says, I can't have hypocrisy in my house. And why is that? Because he's a holy God. And so he protects and defends his holiness with incredible zeal. Hebrews 10 verse 31 says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the last thing I want you to note is his protection of the church. He's protecting her purity by saying we can't have this ever. And so with those kind of ideas established, whoever that was, thank you. I thought it was the audible voice of God. You have to step back and say, okay, so what is Luke after here? What is Luke wanting us to see in the entirety of the text? In other words, when you read the Scripture, don't take particular stories out of context. Read them in their full context. And I want to suggest to you that the reason why this portion of Scripture is there, one of the reasons anyway, is Luke is wanting us to see the contrast between true believers and those who are just faking it. And he says it very, very simply. He said those who were part of the assembly, those who were believers, he says there were two things that distinguished them. The two things were this, that the more they followed the Lord and the more they understood Scripture and the more they tried to serve God with purity of heart, their relationship with the things of this world became looser or we could say lessened. In other words, they weren't controlled by their stuff. They were in actually, they were given to incredible generosity and benevolence. In other words, they didn't hold on to their things tightly. And it says it was because they believed they had this accord in the Spirit. And they weren't controlled by the things of these, this world. They weren't controlled by materialism and they weren't controlled by affluence. And, and they, th- those things were breaking off of their life because the Bible says wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so what was happening and what Luke is wanting us to see is there was this incredible liberty coming into the house of the Lord. And as a result, people were not attached to their things. And they only saw their things and their wealth and their lands as a means to be a blessing to others. Now, stop for a moment and think about how things control you. And how easily it is to get caught up in materialism and affluence. 
And the point here is not that you shouldn't have stuff, but the real point is stuff shouldn't have you. And you should hold on to whatever God's blessed you with very loosely in order that you might be a blessing to others. That's the first thing I think that Luke wants us to see, that there was this community of believers that had put their faith, they had put their trust, they had put their hope in Jesus, and as a result, their hearts were becoming free and they were getting set free from materialistic living. And so they used what they had for the benefit of others. And I'm so blessed to be part of a community of faith that I actually see that in action here at Zion Fellowship. I was saying to the first service, it was about a year ago, where the Wellspring House, you'll remember, it just fell into our lap. We weren't looking for it. We weren't expecting it. We were glad that we had finished paying off this, this parking lot. And, and we started to meet outside, and, and there were all kinds of restrictions, and we were saying, God, what are you doing? And then God gives us a house, a house that we had to pay for. But what was a very nice deal. And I'll recall to you that within a short period of time last summer, you as a congregation were moved on by the Spirit of God, and in a very short time, I don't know how many days or weeks it was, but we raised $100,000. I mean, it's happening today, folks. People all throughout, the, all throughout this drive-in, some of you on the Internet, you just began to give because you said, this isn't for me. This isn't so I'm going to benefit. This house is going to benefit others. It's going to be used as a beachhead to reach the unbelievers in our community. I'm all in. And I'm so blessed to see so many of you hold on to your stuff lightly, and when God asks for it, you release it unto Him. You say, well, I thought I gave you the check, Chris. Well, you did, but I passed it on to Jesus, okay? So they were loosened in their relationship to things, but the second thing that I see that's so profound is this, that something was happening in their hearts in regards to how they related to others. And because of the love of God that had touched their hearts, they were loving one another at an extreme level. Think about this. Think about what's happening in the early church. And how they're loving one another and caring for one another. And they're like, oh, you have a need? Well, I have a piece of land, and I'll sell that piece of land so that that need that you have goes away. Why are you doing that? So that you get your, a good reputation? No, I love you. There was this profound, extreme love that was manifesting in the body of Christ in that hour. And it was because they had experienced the love of Jesus. And you know, our mission statement as a church is simply this, that we are a people who have recognized that we're loved by God. And if we're anything, it's because of what He has done for us. And His love is amazing, and it's transformational, and it changes the human heart. And when the human heart gets changed by the love of God, guess what begins to happen? We begin to love others, and we love the others in the world that we're a part of. 
How many of you have, have experienced a profound change in your life where you're actually loving people that you wouldn't normally hang out with? Come on, you know it's true. You look across the body of Christ and you're like, why do I like them so much? But God is doing a work, and that's what was happening here in the early church. It says, now the company of those who believed. I want to submit to you today in this message that believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and trusting Him for all that you need, being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus, that that's the key to life. That's what will get you through. And that's the root of what's happening in this story. Authentic believing in Jesus affects the human soul so that we separate ourselves from the things of this world and we join ourselves to the things of the kingdom of God. How many of you know that that's true? And I believe that's the burden of Luke. That's the burden that he carries as he writes the book of Acts, but you also see the burden of Luke found in the gospel and the way he writes the gospel. He's wanting us to understand that as a believer in Jesus Christ, what God desires for us, for us to be free from the things of this world and firm in our love for others. Come on, give somebody a high five and say, I know he's right. free from the things of this world and firm in our love for one another. That's what made this, this community of believers in the book of Acts so attractive and that's why people were so drawn to wanting to be a part of it even though fearful things were happening. I want you to note the scripture that I read to you today that the fact that Ananias and Sapphira died because they were hypocritical and they tried to fake their Christianity and they tried to, to make themselves to be somebody that they weren't to try to impress other people, it didn't shut the church down. It caused a revival to break out. And why is that, you say? It's because this generation of people realized that God was real. Now, the thing that the Scripture wants us to understand is that we've got to believe in a God who we can't see. And the book of Acts is all about the unseen realm and the early believers' interaction with the unseen realm, the heavenly places, sometimes the Scripture calls it. And so you have this taking place and, and, and you see this group of people who are being revolutionized in their thinking and in their actions because they believe in Jesus. They're freely caring for one another. It's not under compulsion. Don't read that scripture and think that the apostles had made some kind of rule in the church that now that you're a believer and now that you're a member of this group, you have to sell whatever you have and give your money to me. No such thing, no such rule had been made. The giving that we see in this portion of scripture was all voluntary. And it was the result of people's lives being yielded to the Spirit of God. It's amazing. 
But I think it also comes as a result of sitting under not only the apostles' teaching, but Jesus' teaching. Listen to how Luke portrays the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 12, he says, Jesus speaking to them after talking to them about the recognition that the Father knows that they need to eat and the Father knows that they need a a roof over their head. He says, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. This is Luke 12, uh, 31 through 34. And then he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Therefore, sell your possessions and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor more moth destroys. For And this is, this is a pivotal point in the teaching. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? I think that's what Luke is pointing to. He's saying, what do you treasure? Do you treasure your things more than you treasure him? Do you treasure the stuff that you've accumulated more than you treasure him? And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying having stuff is evil or bad. That's not the point. The point is, how are you living your life before the Lord? Look at, listen to what he says. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, faith in the promises of God produces freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from the things of this world, freedom to love people and care for people. And I think that's the point because if you look at the examination of Peter with Ananias and then Sapphira, it's almost like he's saying to them, you don't have to do this. Wasn't this land always under your control? You could do with it whatever you want. Why are you, why are you saying one thing and doing another? It's almost like, like Peter has this, this incredible measure of grace. He's got a word of knowledge, and he knows that they're lying about what they're about to do. And he's saying, you don't have to do this. Because what he says is what you're witnessing as far as people's benevolence No one's made a rule here. No one's made a law that you have to do this. It's almost like he's appealing to them. Because a lot of people would preach this and say, oh, he judged them. No, he didn't. He was appealing to them. You don't have to do this. He says what you're witnessing when you see these people giving, you're witnessing the freedom that they have in the Spirit. They're acting out of freedom. They're not acting out of compulsion. They're not acting because of a rule that's been made. They're acting out of the freedom of the Spirit. And I think that's profound. And so what Luke is describing for us here is what I think a story of the radically freeing effect of true faith in Jesus and what it brings. See, because you might be here this morning and you might be trying to figure Christianity out and if it's for you. And the thing that I want to say to you is this, that Christianity is not a matter of external conformity to religious expectations. It's a matter of internal liberty 
through the law of the Spirit. The law of Spirit and the law of life. The apostles weren't forcing this. They hadn't created some kind of a law. What we read in the book of Acts in regards to the benevolence of the giving was a matter of freedom and it was being done in love. They were being changed from the inside out. And so what Luke does is he gives us a contrast. And he contrasts Barnabas with Ananias and Sapphira. And like I said, it is a stunning contrast because on one hand we see a man who has been moved of the Spirit of God. And and in this account we only see a, a small picture of Barnabas. Later on in Scripture we find out that Barnabas is a, is a picture of, of, of a man that, that is mature and reliable and one of the greatest and most loved leaders in the early church. And he demonstrated freedom from the love of things and, and he had a love for the poor, a real heart of love for the poor. And you see Ananias and Sapphira stand as the exact opposite of that. For some reason, they're in the assembly of God, but but they haven't been changed on the inside. They still think that they can get away with things before God. And so they come and they say one thing, but actually they're doing something else, and, and the Holy Spirit exposes it. And why does the Holy Spirit expose it? Because I believe God wanted to establish at the very beginning a fear in the people of God when it comes to hypocrisy. And I know this is a hard-hitting message right now, but God does not want His people to be hypocrites. He does not want us faking faith in His presence. He wants us to be real. And I think the contrast is simply this, that Barnabas was real in his faith and his pursuit of God, and Ananias and Sapphira were not. And I want you to understand something with me today. It's not up to me to judge this or you to judge this. But the Holy Spirit is present here and He knows your heart. And He knows how you're conducting yourself. But I love as you read further on in the passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, as the church continues to mature in the fear of the Lord, it says in Acts 9 verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and they were built up and they walked in the fear of the Lord. Now watch this and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. Now here's the thing I want you to get, that when you and I begin to mature and see God as holy, and not try to pull the wool over people's eyes, but we're just honest and we live our lives before God, not only will we live in the fear of the Lord, but we will also experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I love the combination of the two. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Understand this, folks, that God is not mocked. We're living in a day and an hour where the Holy Spirit is here to bring great comfort. But through His indwelling presence, He wants you and He wants me to become real and authentic in our faith. Are you tracking with me? Check with your neighbor. Make sure they're still breathing. This is your happy Sunday morning message. So what was wrong with Ananias and Sapphira? Let's break it down really quickly. 
First of all, they love their money. They love their money more than they love God. They love their money more than they love people. And you know, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is evil, but the love of it. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira, and they're gripped with a love for money. Therefore, they figure they can even lie to God. That's how deceptive it can be. A number of years ago when we were building this facility, we were on uh, the, the tail end of raising the resources to be able to do it. And um, most of us had given everything we could, everything that we had. I mean, people were selling shotguns and everything else to, to pay off this building. And uh, Joan and I had a car in our possession. It was an old Chevy Nova. And we had entrusted it to our eldest son, who was a first-time driver. And he abused that thing. I mean, he that thing was messed up when he was done with it. But it was still ours. And so I said, well, Joan, we'll just sell it. And so I put it on our front lawn, and I put a for sale sign, and it sat there for weeks. And nobody was even interested in it. I wasn't even interested in it. And then one Sunday morning, Pastor Bob was preaching, and he was talking about having uh, just a heart of generosity and just giving whatever God asked you to, to, to give. And I remember I prayed, and I said, Lord, if you would send somebody to buy that Nova, I will give all of the proceeds to the building project. That was Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, there's a knock on the door. And there's an individual, a man, standing there, and he says, is this Chevy Nova still for sale? And I said, um, yes, sir, it is. And he said, how much do you want for it? At the time, he didn't know that I would have taken 15, 25 bucks, you know. Just get it off my lawn. But I said to him, unashamedly, I said to him, $500. He goes, it's a deal. And he pulls the cash out of his pocket, and he says, let's do this right now. So I got $500 in my hands, and guess what my heart begins to do? Let's split this with God. Car isn't worth $500. It's worth $250. God would understand. And I, I realized that in a moment of time how, how evil my heart could be. And the Holy Spirit reminded me, and he said, you remember that you said you'd give it all. It's time to give it all. And I remember just repenting and saying, Lord, forgive me for even having the thought that I wouldn't give it all. And so I gave it all, and I have no idea what happened to the Nova and how much longer it lived on this earth. But they loved their money, and that was one of their root problems. They also wanted to look more generous than they really were. And you say, Chris, what is that? That is seeking the praise of men. Listen, the Bible says if you live for the praise of men, that will become a snare to you. It will trip you up every time. They were trying to impress everybody in the assembly. They were trying to impress the apostles. And God says, I won't have that. In fact, he confronted it in the Pharisees time and time again. In Luke chapter 16, it says the Pharisees who loved money were listening to all these things and made fun of Jesus. And he said to them, you make yourselves look good in front of people, but God knows what is really in your hearts, what is important to people, or the praise of men, is hateful in the sight of God. Wow. 
So they loved their money. They were seeking the praise and the approval of men over the praise and approval of God. And then they lied. They let the covetousness of their heart overwhelm them. And as a result, they moved in hypocrisy and they experienced an incredible judgment. Now, contrast that with Barnabas. He didn't love his money. He didn't love the things he had more than he loved people and loved God. And as a result, in the freedom of his faith, he sold a piece of land and gave it all without restrictions. No strings attached to the apostles. How many times have you given something with strings attached? I'm giving this, but I want it done this way. That's not what Barnabas did. Why? Because he wasn't attached to things. Something was happening in his heart where he was actually being released from the things of this world. He didn't want to appear more generous in front of others. He, he didn't seek the praise and the approval of men. He sought the approval of his Father in heaven. And he loved the truth. He wanted to walk in truth and, and he wanted to be trusted. But I think more importantly, and this is where I'll wrap it up with you today, is that this is what he knew that I think Ananias and Sapphira didn't know. He knew that the Spirit of the living God was alive and real and in the church. Because when confronted, Peter didn't say to him, why have you lied to us? He said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And here's the takeaway that I want you to take away with me today. That when we come together and we gather in the name of Jesus, and we sing our worship songs and we sing our praise, do we gather with the understanding that He is here? That His presence is here? Not just in some theoretical form. Well, yeah, he's, he's here, I know, he's, he's somewhere. No, he's here. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, he's here. He is amongst us, he is upon us, he's within us. Are you tracking with me? I think Barnabas understood that. I think Barnabas understood that, that when you stand in the assembly of God, or when you stand, period, as a believer of God, he is with you. And it's not a time for you to try to pull the wool over his eyes because you can't. And I want to just encourage us here this morning and just say this to you as, as I close. That as you live your life, as I live my life before God, that the church, the body of Christ, those who we are, Joan, if you're coming, please do. We're just not a meeting place. We don't gather just for the sake of gathering. We don't assemble like this on 8.30 service and then a 10 o'clock service just to be a contingent of people who name themselves Christians. No, we gather as His beloved and we gather to bring honor and glory to His name because we know that whenever we gather, He presents Himself amongst us. And what we want to do 
is we want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to be different than we were when we first came in. We're not the Rotary Club. Hear me, I'm not trying to be light with this or joke. We're not the Rotary Club. We're not some kind of uh, movement that, that is just out here trying to, to be benevolent and, and help people. We want to do all of that, but we want to do it in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? So that when we gather, it's a serious thing. When we gather, His presence is in our midst. When we gather, the Almighty King of Glory is overseeing our meeting and His presence is among us and His power is with us. So every time we gather, there is an unseen power. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the presence of God and it's with us. Those of you on the live stream, just because you're live streaming, you are not detached from the power of God. He is with you. He is there. Why is that important? It's important because we know that He sees everything. And He knows everything that we hold in our hearts. See, when you live this way, you live like they lived in the book of Acts. Just just think about it. On the day of Pentecost, they're in the upper room and they're praying and they're waiting on God. And then suddenly, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. The lame man that's healed at the beautiful gate, they're on their way to prayer in the afternoon. And as their eyes fall upon this man and the love of God hits their heart one more time, suddenly God moves in and the man is healed and restored and completely made whole. After being persecuted and told never to preach in the name of Jesus, they gather together and what do they do? In prayer again, they go before the Lord and they ask for boldness. And suddenly the Spirit of God comes into their situation and shakes the very foundation of the place in which they meet. I'm telling you that God is wanting a people who live in the suddenly, who live with the presence of God always in their lives, surrounding them and touching them. The basic trouble with the generation that we are a part of is we live in an age of materialism and, and affluence and gadgets and comforts and amenities. And if we're not careful, we can let those things overshadow the reality of the kingdom of God. And we'll miss the unseen realm. I think what Luke wanted us to see was that when the Spirit of God falls on a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ, the two evidences that begin to manifest almost immediately is when it comes to the things of this life, our hearts begin to get loosened. And when it comes to loving others, our hearts begin to get firmed up and tightened up. This morning I want to close and, and ask if there's anybody here this morning who wants to give their heart to Jesus Christ and ask Him to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. If you're here today and you've come on these grounds and the conviction of the Spirit of God is touching your heart right now, I just want you to wave at me. Because God wants to redeem you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to do a special work of grace in your life. If you're here this morning and through my preaching, you realize that maybe 
You've not been living as free as God wants you to be. Maybe you've been putting on a, a show sorts because of insecurity or because of hurt. You're not quite sure whether you want to trust this group of people or trust God. And you're here this morning and you say, but you know what, I want to, I want to take a step of faith. I want to, I, I, whatever was happening in the book of Acts, I want, I want it to happen in my heart too. I want, to, I want to be free from the allurement of the things of this world. And I want my, my heart to become firmer in its love for others and its love for God. If that's you today and you know that things are gripping you and keeping you from being the full disciple that God wants you to be, you want to just step away from living a part life with God, you want to go fully in with God, I just want to ask you to stand to your feet and say, God, help me. Help me to be fully engaged. Help me to be that one who is, is not drawn, that, that my heart is actually loosened from the things of this world. And, and my heart begins to get firmed up in regards of its love for people. See, if we're not loving people like God loves people, then we're not, we're not doing it right. So all throughout the grounds, people are standing right now, and I just want to pray. I, I trust you hear my heart in this message. When you're preaching through a book, you can't skip over verses. You've got to address the verse that's in front of you. And I want you to understand that from the apostle, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, that was not a judgment from the apostles. Nor was it just shock. It was God establishing something in the early church saying, we cannot have hypocrisy in our midst. We've got to be true. We've got to be real. We've got to be the people of God. Amen. And he says, this is how it happens. Allow the Spirit of God to move in your life to such a degree where things don't hold you. But He holds you. Because He holds you, you find this love for people just overshadowing the things of this earth. So you don't love things as much as you love people. How many of you say, I could use a little touch of that right now? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group of people who have assembled in this place. And Lord, we truly want to be like we see in the Bible. Followers of Jesus. Like our mission statement says, who have experienced the love of God. And as a result, we love others. And we love the world in which we live in. Lord, this is what you've called us to. This is what you worked on in the early church and established in the very foundations. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to do it here at Zion Fellowship. Lord, that we would hold loosely the blessings that you've entrusted to us. That we would not be controlled by them, but we would use them for your glory, whatever they might be. And out of freedom, bless others. And out of liberty, not out of compulsion, but to, to give, to be a blessing to others. Not to be seen by men or to be praised by men, but to actually bring honor and glory to you. So Lord, work this great work of grace in all of our lives today. And as we go from this place, from this service, 
This morning, I pray the blessing of the Lord would be released on all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're still breathing, just wave at me. Everybody good? This is the word of the Lord. We can't dodge it. We've got to look at it. We've got to let it confront us. And then we've got to let it change us. Amen. Amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.